Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Giant Size Heroes number 30 is here. I'm Amy Dallin. I'm Coy John Rowe. And we have a lot of news to get into uh, because of all the stuff that broke this week that we didn't have time to while we were freaking out about Watchmen. Freaking out. Also... Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's Thursday. Yeah, probably. Thanksgiving. Whenever this goes when up. When it's going to drop on Thursday, they tell me. And that <laughs> means happy Thanksgiving. Good luck uh, Black Friday shopping if that's your cup of tea. And if it's not, spend some time with your family. That's what it's actually about. Yeah, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. Do what, to, do what you're going to do. Uh, take care of the people around you and eat yourself silly. Yes. I, I've already bought all my stuffing. Like that's my main – that's my Thanksgiving thing is nice. stuffing. I don't really care about the turkey or anything else. Stuffing is the is the end goal. That's the, the appetizer, the meal, and the dessert. I'm very into all of it. Uh, I was a picky eater kid mm. uh, and it meant that – Meals like Thanksgiving were manna from heaven for me because at a normal meal, it would sort of be like, ooh, I like one of the things on this table, but everyone will look at me weird if they can tell that. And at Thanksgiving, it would be like there are 25 things and 19 of them are delicious. Go yes. nuts. Uh, so, yeah, very much my jam and uh, an important day. For the potato scale. Oh, my God. It's a potato scale holiday in its own <laughs> right. Like, frankly, you can sit down with your family this day, this glorious day, and you tell them what you feel about the movies as related to potatoes and confuse them for the entire year. <laughs> frankly, they won't talk to you until Christmas. It'll be very alarming. It'll be great. Uh, but please, actually, a call to arms to you folks. Tell us about your Thanksgiving on the potato scale. <laughs> I would like to know how your Thanksgiving went. On and of scale. course, we neglected on the potato scale, but Thanksgiving reminds me of a very important separate genre of potato scale. Oh? The sweet potato scale. Oh, the sweet potato scale. See, I feel, ooh, maybe Elseworlds are sweet potatoes. Oh, my god! Because they're a different thing that seems to be the thing you're going to have, but then it's a totally different thing once the skin's different. Like, but you it, wouldn't want to give it up. No. They're really perfect in their own way. They don't take anything away from the existence of regular potatoes. And arguably more nutritious because it's a singular item instead <laughs> okay, of having to watch Sweet bunch. potato fries. Watchmen? Sweet potato. Oh. Well, that's not really an Elseworld because it's in the same canon. That's true. I think sweet potato fries are... You didn't see this coming, but now you can't imagine living without it. Yes. That's what I need for sweet potato fries. You didn't see this coming, but can't imagine living without it. I think uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths is going to be sweet potato oh, fries. I was thinking about Prophetic this the other day. Sweet I like shout out to 80s nerds because currently all we can talk about is Crisis and Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Marvel just got done inventing a new kind of crossover and people are debating whether the guy who's about to play Batman is fit for it based on the movies that made him famous. All those things are true right Right now. Right now. 
80s nerds, we live in your world. Yeah, thank you for all you've done for society. You really put in the work. You're <laughs> the best, the best of times. Uh, so I think uh, Watchmen is a kind of potato that hasn't been invented yet. Ooh. I think Watchmen is going to be a genre redefining potato that you see on like a cooking show that you're like, oh, that doesn't have a name yet. Or it might like, okay, and here's where not knowing anything about food makes it very difficult for me to participate <laughs> in this. But I know there are like shepherd's pie things mm-hmm. where you're like, this is potatoes, but it's also an entire meal with all of the flavors. Ooh. And I'm so satisfied and surprised and comforted. And I guess it would be like a really challenging shepherd's pie that makes you uncomfortable, but also satisfied. You're like, Which food I'm shouldn't do? Done eating this, and I feel good but guilty. <laughs> Why I, do I? I've been so... morally compromised by participating in this pie eating. Like you're you're a generally a vegetarian, but on Thanksgiving you allow yourself to eat meat, and you feel very bad about it, but it's delicious, and you're torn about where you stand. Oh, now I'm sad about ethical conflicts. I mean, this, uh, that's, if, Watchmen. is Watchmen not about ethical You're, conflicts? Well, and now wrapped up in its own barrel of extra meta meaning. And I feel like that. that's also when you're a, a person that takes one cheat day very far. That could also wrap you up in all these ethical conflicts. <laughs> Here we are. All right. We do have some <laughs> news this week before I inevitably bring it right back to uh, some on-topic, off-topic nonsense. Uh we got an interesting article at the time we're recording this. You know we record these on Tuesdays. I think that's not a surprise by now. The best kept secret in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, but we got an interesting variety article with a very sort of strangely selected rundown of current DC plans uh, that reiterated a lot of things we knew but did add a couple details that, if true, are new to us. So one of those that jumped out at me uh, was that Christina Hodson, the screenwriter Birds of Prey, who we all, we know is supposed to uh, have been hired to work on a Batgirl movie, is apparently maybe jumping over to do Flash before she gets to Batgirl, uh, according to this. But that movie can't roll until Ezra Miller is done with Fantastic Beasts, according to this. So that will be several years away. Now, we've heard a lot of different conflicting things about the Flash movie, not necessarily conflicting, but maybe just changing over time. Mm -hmm. We don't exactly know what the status is there. Uh, It certainly is, for me, it's a good sign if they're putting Christina Hodson on more things because it means they like the scripts that she turns in. Agreed. Um, I'm surprised by them kicking Batgirl down the road because I would imagine, it's just tough for me to imagine writing a Birds of Prey movie and also being hired to write a Batgirl movie and not having some level of plan for both of those, whether or not they connect, at least for what you want each of them to be mm-hmm. and how you want them to fit into your work and how you want them each to reflect on comics. Like I can't imagine not that there aren't answers to that of some kind, at least for her personally, even if it's not about universe building. And so pushing Batgirl down the road makes me wonder like maybe there isn't another plan for that. Maybe she can't start thinking about it until some other things come into place. Mm-hmm. Maybe she had to act as if that was just not a factor or a presence, but it, it surprises and confuses me. What do you think? I think uh, this gets me more excited for all of her properties, like you said. And I also think um, this is – I want to sit down and read every Flash script that they've done in the last <laughs> five years. I want to have a day where I read all 97 Speaking Flash of iterations. Like there's all so of many. the missing adventures of Flash. Grant Morrison's one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ones from the guys that did Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many Flash scripts that I want to know. And my problem with the Flash is as he stands now, he's like this equal mix of Barry Allen and Wally West. Mm, yeah. And I, I think those are two Characters that are separate. Well, so, and they're they're taking a lot of those uh, those successfully reinterpreted traits that they gave to the Grant Gustin Flash, which is a again currently running wildly successful iteration of the character. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I wish 
should have been. I would love the credit for that. Um, and it's true that, like, they when they brought Barry back in the comics, they did start changing up his character in some interesting ways that dovetail pretty nicely with this. But everybody who said that, look, they gave him the Wally West personality is not wrong. He's got the optimism of Barry and the wit of Wally. And the, it, it kind of feels like now that's what I call Flash. It's like you can't just take the greatest hits. you got to have the character be the character. Like, there's more to the album. Like, you can't just give me the hits. I want another character. I So we're not sure what the deal is. I, let's see. The, the article also impl- uh, suggested that we might be getting an R-rated Suicide Squad. And I literally can't remember whether that's a thing that's already been suggested or confirmed. Or... It's been suggested. Yeah. And uh, it, it got confirmed today because I remember, like, it was the first time I saw James Gunn retweet it. It's been understood. Oh, he retweeted that? Yeah. Okay. It's been understood that it's R-rated. Especially don't give James Gunn the Suicide Squad and go, like, now keep it down. Like, I don't, I don't see them being like, okay, we know Marvel was real mean to you. They're, they're being dr- – now keep a noise down after 10 o'clock, all right? You know, no girls in the house. Like, it just it, – you, you, you let that man be free. Uh, and I feel like James Gunn making an R-rated Suicide Squad is the only way I could have been more excited. Like, Guardians 1 and 2 are, are – ne- I love now, what they did with PG-13. But- if, I, if I'm going to, like, devil's advocate this, mm. I think it is possible for James Gunn to make a perfectly – like great Suicide Squad movie that isn't R-rated, uh, especially because he's drawing his inspiration from the Ostrander Yale comics, and those comics are brutal, but they also follow the comics code. Sure, sure, like, sure. It is possible to do these things under those constraints. I, uh, I totally and I, I believe that if he decided to do that, he could pull it off. But on the other hand, do I think he's going to have a lot of fun making an R-rated Suicide Squad movie? I think he is. I, I'm really excited <laughs> to see the difference between the Suicide Squad and the Guardians, and that R-rating is going to be some flavor. And I, re- oh, I can't wait for that movie. All right. Speaking of things we can't wait for, was there anything else uh, before we move on from that article that jumped out at you? Um, I, I, the bat villain thing, it, uh, people are reading a lot into it. Uh, they, they briefly mentioned in that article that they might do a bunch of bat villain spinoffs, and now that's turned into like the big news story. I, when I read that article, I didn't read that as the big part of the article. I was like, yeah, I thought the writer was just sort of saying they that might, they might that. like now we have interesting actors in these roles that would prime them. But I, I, I guess if that came from a studio insider, then I might feel differently about it. But I would be very surprised if that's the case. I don't think Matt Reeves is... Well, they said that all the actors signed on first. I heard a rumor that the actors signed on for that and then spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard that rumor. But that, I think, is just standard issue now. Right. When you sign on for a movie that's you a superhero movie, you sign on movie, for one Batman movie. You sign on for nine. And you might have a clause that says three solo films, but that doesn't mean they're happening. So I think people, personally, I think people are reading way too much into it. Well, like, it. and if they do do a Batgirl movie in a couple of years, that's having some villains on contract would be a very convenient thing to have around. It's so weird how comic world building's been around for 70 years. We're just <laughs> learning how that might apply to movies and television. It is funny to sort of backwards import it, though, and think about the world of comics and sort of being like, if you wanted to use Penguin in a different story and you wanted him to look like the other Penguin, you'd have to contact a human being and be like, hang out for two to five years. We're yeah. using you in an annual. Like, what a weird business. And uh, the idea of, of like, in back, the, back to the Future 2 rules, where they where they cast someone that wasn't Crispin Glover as Crispin <laughs> Glover and they made him look just like Crispin Glover. He's like, you can't do that. I'm Crispin Glover. So I think it's really funny with comic book properties how they have to be like, no, no, nine movies. We don't know where this is going. Hold tight. It's fascinating. When we heard about the the Hawkeye had – Jeremy Renner theoretically had a Hawkeye movie that, like, they could have pulled the trigger on at any time, and they've turned it into a TV show, which I think is actually going to serve it better. But just – it's weird to be like, that is – that's just probably what it's like. People are like, maybe we'll make a movie with you. And I've gone out for things when I was Actor Boy that you sign up for so many things that probably won't happen. <laughs> I've been licensed as a video game character. Ooh, neat. I, I've had to like have my likeness like approved for a video game, and I've seen mocap representations Do you own your of own me. Face? Not some of versions of my face. Oh my goodness! There are versions of my face I don't own. <laughs> 
So it's See, really weird to like versions of your face that you don't own is a Mr. Potato Head on the potato yes, scale. Yes, one hundred percent. Because there are many faces that man does not own. <laughs> that is an interpretive dance he gets to play. And I feel like, ooh, wait a second, something's coming to me. Okay. Josh Trank's Fantastic Four is Mr. Potato Head on the Potato Scale. Oh, no, but he Mr. Didn't Potato Head is a classic, beloved children's Much toy. Much like the Fantastic Four, Marvel's first family betrayed. Josh Trank didn't get to control it. It was controlled by multiple parties. It was a hodgepodge of different things, and you want to love it, but it doesn't always work out. Mr. Potato Head. Is there a sadness about Mr. Potato Head that I'm unfamiliar with? That man gets messed up for a living. Well, you rip off parts of his face and rearrange them. He he grows into new things all the time. I can't imagine that's not traumatic. Oh, no. I think there's definitely a growing pains about Mr. Potato Head. I've never imagined him being sad about his own transformative capacity and his lack of fundamental identity. You had eyes once, and now they're gone. That doesn't go well. But now you have new weird eyes. But for a moment, you didn't. Imagine there's a time where you're just. Truly terrifying. You're just a stump in the dark. Um, so Thanksgiving, now that we're imagining being Mr. Potato Head, which it turns out is existentially horrifying. <laughs> um, I have no mouth. And yet I must scream. Uh, <laughs> we we move on to a, a genuinely exciting piece of news, uh, for me at least. The Batman is still filling out that cast, uh, and they've got the inimitable, the one and only John Turturro as crime boss Carmine Falcone. Falcone, it, how does that set? I think it's Falcone, but... but. Until we hear them say it. It's like every Doctor Strange thing. I'm like, how is do you say Is he in animated stuff? He probably is. Definitely but I can't is. remember. And he's also been in movies, I think. Y'all. Guys. He's literally been in movies before. I can't remember how to say his name because I'm a comic book person and I imagine I things in I think he's in Nolan's trilogy. I think you're right. Guys. Because he was played by uh, Wilkin- Wilkinson. Yes, correct. Yep. Yeah, I think it's Falcone. But also, we didn't know Edward Nington's name, so we're sorry. <laughs> Edward Nashton is also a thing. Uh, I love this. If you've never seen... Um, uh, Big Lebowski, uh, you should stop listening to this podcast immediately and go watch The Big Lebowski. And if, if you've, you've never seen Barton Fink, you should stop everything and watch Barton Fink. 100% true. And in that same vein of both of those movies, uh, one of my favorite films of all time, the George Clooney magnum opus. Um, oh, what's it called? Slipping oh, my Brother, Mind. Oh, Brother, Art 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 Which, if you're watching Watchmen, just to bring it back to Watchmen again, uh, one of our unexpected faves of our heart in that show uh, is Tim Blake Nelson from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Oh Brother Where Art Thou, so slept on. Uh, I think it's amongst the best of the Coen brothers, which is saying a lot because they're the Coen brothers. I've watched that movie maybe a hundred times. Real good. It's stupid. Soundtrack but delightful. What a great movie. Uh, also, uh, speaking of Watchmen, while we're on that tangent, which is going to come back every week for the yep. rest of time, uh, the Vite method on the back of a comic book is my favorite Easter egg. We didn't. I didn't have time to talk about it on uh, Heroes this week. Look out in episode five or Six, there's a kid reading a comic on the ground, not the one that's at the newsstand, not the, not the lead. Um, someone's reading a comic and it has the Vite method on the back, but it's in the style of the Atlas method, as in Charles <laughs> Atlas, as in in the 70s when they had the workout stuff in the back of comics. Remember, they're like, the kid gets sand kicked in his face and he's like, I'm a train. And then he gets jacked and he comes back. He's like, don't be a bully because I traded Charles Atlas. That is in Watchmen continuity, which appeals directly to me because I am both a bro and a comic fan, and it made me very happy. Well, and I, I feel like Vite Method might be in the original comics. I feel I like it is. Yeah, the, the, uh, because they're all playing on that pulp imagery and on the history of comics and all that stuff that Grant Morrison was drawing on when he made Flex Mentallo. It's, it's all a beautiful tapestry of loving homage to the whole history of the form, and it makes us very happy, y'all. Read comics. 
uh, read comics and then watch the many, many things based on them. We got some more news this week. Uh, this was Variety reported uh, that Stargirl, the series I've been really looking forward to that's coming to DC Universe, will be coming not just to DC Universe, but also the next day, I think, uh, to the CW. Just a fascinating just piece of information in general is, is like these crossovers, these different things, like what networks share. Everything's under the Warner Brothers umbrella, but also DC is on HBO Max and it's on DC Daily and it's on the CW. There's so many places for DC content to land. So I think it's really interesting to uh, – crossover potential for DC Daily to find a new audience and also reach out to the CW to find a new audience. It's, it's fascinating. And it, what's fast? I'm going to jump down to, gosh, I hope I put it in this rundown, but I might have accidentally forgotten to include it. Whoops. It was definitely on my links. Sorry, Koi. But uh, <laughs> Stargirl is going to feature the JSA. Which we are also about to see on the big screen, apparently, because Dwayne The Rock Johnson is just like, I can tell you things whenever I feel like it. I'm Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I love that The Rock is like, there aren't NDAs as strong as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Like, whenever you ever say something, he's like, you know what I have? Billions of followers. You know what I'm going to (laughs) say? Everything you didn't want me to. Whatever I feel like. (laughs) Is The Rock. Um, And so, I mean, you know, for all we know, this is a carefully crafted media strategy, but it's working and we're into it. He sells movies by existing. It's perfect. Uh, Because in the Black Adam movie, apparently we're also going to meet the Justice Society of America. What do we think of – we're getting two JSAs, Coy. I think that anyone that is a fan of comics that is grouchy should really take a look at the mirror because it's going real well societally. Like, I, I, it's it's yeah. a really hard time to not appreciate what we've grown into. Yeah. Uh, every time we think it's peak, there's a new peak. Um, Here's the – I'm going to attempt a 30-second who are the JSA. Oh. <laughs> Watch and see if this works <laughs> out at all because this is one of my favorite subjects. Uh, DC's been going since just before World War II. And the original team-up of all the heroes was called the Justice Society of America. Wonder Woman was the secretary. Uh, But uh, if you are a regular listener of this show, you know that they were awesome and had a fan club and had an incredibly moving fan club oath, which is my favorite thing about the JSA. Uh, so that's a deep cut, but go back and listen to the podcast. I don't remember which episode. I'm very sorry. Good luck. Um, (laughs) So the JSA was the World War II team-up of superheroes. Superheroes fell out of fashion. Most of the books, but not all of them, stopped being published. Flash uh, got a new identity, brought new life to comics, inaugurated the Silver Age, and there was a new team-up called the Justice League of America. And then several decades of increasing confusion as they were like, well, how do we resolve these different eras in a way that is fun for readers. What if all the World War II stuff happened on a different planet that's very much like ours, and then the two versions of the characters can meet each other and have adventures every year for about 25 years, which was awesome. And then they were like, that's too confusing. Uh, You're already a minute and a half into your 30-second explanation, and no one will start reading comics if it takes a minute and a half for me to explain things. So they had something called the crisis on Infinite Earths. Hilariously, which we are having right before we get all the JSAs. Uh, so essentially, JSA is just an alternate team up of a bunch of the classic World War II heroes, and it is uh, part of the backstory for the Stargirl character who comes from this period in the late 90s when, notably, they took largely not used uh, Golden Age character Black Adam, who had one appearance back in the day in the original <laughs> Captain Marvel comics, one appearance, an unforgettable, memorable, beautiful one, but uh, one and uh, they made him an anti-hero, and he actually ran around with JSA being a hero for a while. And it seems as if this is the period they're drawing on for the Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I'm kind of a good guy version of One the character. One appearance, 
versus the hundreds, and that's the. It's just it's fascinating to me how people choose. Like it, it, now, I think once they once they brought him into DC in the seventies, I think people started doing a lot more stuff with him as a villain for a long time. And it wasn't until the nineties that this like sort of I think heroic version of him got developed largely in the pages of the JSA book mm-hmm. and in like spinning out of Jeff, James Robinson's Starman. There's a whole like different chunk of DC that they're drawing on here. But it is just interesting to me that like Stargirl draws on that and apparently so will Dwayne The Rock Johnson's big screen movie. So excited. So excited for both. That was like 30 seconds. Oh, that was totally, it was a series of 30 seconds. <laughs> Many seconds were in chunks of 30. So, uh, alas, poor Justice Society, we have a crisis coming. Yes. Oh, I am so excited for this crisis. Uh, we've got photos of Tom Welling and Kevin Conroy, and like you hear about it, and it's exciting. But when you see it, when you see official photos, because you don't look at paparazzi photos because you're not a monster. When you see official <laughs> photos and feel the actual justice that's coming through Alex Ross's beautiful paint and through the words, I, I, I'm so excited. This week we got our first look at what Kevin Conroy's going to look like in character, in real life, playing a very important and interesting version of the character that he embodies. Uh, I'm I'm so I couldn't be any more excited to see Kevin Conroy. And he actually had some great Coy, did you see he had some great uh, comments on uh, stepping into the role in live action yeah. and it being a surprise uh, to him because obviously like look, nobody knows Batman better than Kevin Conroy. He has been Batman since nineteen ninety two. Uh, he knows his heart and his soul and his voice, but had actually not uh, addressed the challenge of how he moves in the world, what his physicality is like. And Kevin Conroy is an old school theater actor. He yeah. knows he knows how to present things, but uh, he was apparently uh, surprised in an interesting way when he was walking on set that he suddenly had questions he'd never needed to answer about Bruce Wayne. Uh, which, uh, how exciting is that? I and. Uh, Scrolling through pictures and having three different Supermans. Yeah. Scrolling through pictures, seeing Tom Welling, who I grew up with as Superman, seeing Brandon Routh, who did not get a fair shake at Superman, and now seeing our new Superman and all in different suits, all in different flavor, all still so Superman. Like the you see the three of these guys and you're like, oh, that's Superman. All of them. Oh, that yeah. what? It's just so rad. Uh, I, I I couldn't be more excited for this. And seeing Candace Patton with Lois Lane, yes! uh, it's just it makes me so like I love Iris West Allen and I love Candace. Candace, you're great. Hi. Um, I and I think Lois Lane is going to be a great launching point. Like I think Lois Lane, we haven't seen a lot of her yet. Like I'm you really know, excited to see where when it goes. They, I I don't know what they're doing with the uh, Superman and Lois show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once they do that, I would love to see Iris just pop by every once in a yeah, while like and friend. be like, "We're having a journalist meetup." Yeah. Uh, she can be babysitter. Yeah. She can, she can hang out with kids. <laughs> she can be Auntie Iris. I would love that so much, and it would feel so true to the DC family history. Um, I am going to throw a plug in right here, actually, that uh, I've been doing something super fun over on DC Daily, uh, which anybody can do, but is easier if you have the service. Read along uh, Crisis with us. We've been doing a Ooh, countdown. That's cool. We're uh, just about halfway through, and we're going to pick back up after Thanksgiving. Uh, uh Issue by issue, going through the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, which a lot of people grow up grew up knowing about, but uh, hadn't a- haven't actually read. Hmm. Partly because it's just sort of a piece of history, and it's not necessarily like you're, this is the most urgent thing right now. And also because it will take you ten thousand years. It's not short. It's dense. <laughs> George Perez is like, what if twenty seven panels on this page? And also, every character you love is going to squeeze in this little corner. Keep an eye out for him. 
uh, really just operating at an unreasonable level on that book, uh, both of, both Wolfman and Perez. Uh, that has been incredibly fun to go through. Please read that along with us. We're having a really good time. All right. And unsolicited plug for that other thing I'm doing that y'all might uh, be into. I mean, I think this is the place to plug things that are now <laughs> comic-based. Uh, also, it's just so neat. And I will shamelessly plug, George Perez uh, said that every time he worked on one of those event books, he would challenge the writer to have him draw more because he liked filling every single part of the frame. So he loved doing Infinity, uh, both Saga and Crisis on Infinite Earths because he wanted to have the densest, most crazy panels because he knew no one else could do it. And George Perez is an actual angel. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. the best of us. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm going to cry. It's fine. Uh, this week, I'm, I'm listing this just because we're doing a news roundup, but it was an interesting. I'm glad we didn't have a show in the middle of this because we got, <laughs> uh, we got a story and then a correction and a retraction and some other stories. And it looks like everything is basically exactly where we were last week. But in the meantime, there was about a day there where it looked like Joker 2 was on its way. Uh, and then other people were like, what? That's none of it. What? Hey, journalists, integrity matters. I'm sure people are trying. People are so quick to press end. I I, I get the important – but like I I, – it really kills me that Twitter is where I get my news, right? Because it's so much faster than the news. But there's got to be a little – like there's going to be like a – like just pause for a second. Like I just – I feel like we're so quick to get the the thing out there that we want to be the first to get the likes and the clicks and like everything's run on clicks. But it's really hard when this is – Todd Phillips spent years making the Joker, you know, developing it, and then to have the knee-jerk reaction of like, hey, I did another one. It's, I, I, I feel like if I was an artist creating art that that many people were involved with, it'd be really hard to have the announcement be like a series of soft stops. Mm. Like, I, I'd want the announcement to be like, this is on my terms, and we're doing it, and I'm excited, instead of like, it's an exclusive leak. And then it just, it just, it, it, it softens the impact for me. Mm. So I just, I want any property to get its just desserts of a debut. Which isn't to say we don't get very excited when we hear stuff is happening. But, uh, yeah, so it looks like right now we are not any closer or further away from a Joker sequel than we were last week, which is basically mostly just people saying it made a gajillion dollars. So I'm sure if he's down, they're down. That just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't personally need it, but if they get excited and they make a movie and it makes a bunch of people real happy, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, and I'm on the other side where I, I'm twitching for it because it's the <laughs> thing I never thought would exist, uh, much less of wanting a sequel. So it's – to me, it's 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 me being a contrarian at my own opinion. Like I, I was like, no, we don't need that. I'm like, now a sequel. OK. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm there. Please. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this think, one was exciting for me. This okay. Tell tell us talk us through this next one. Channing Tatum, <laughs> a man who has been attached to many a comic book property, a man who clearly likes comics because he keeps being involved with very strange things, is adapting the Max. The <laughs> Max is amongst the weirdest. Like it's an indie book that got popular in a way that I didn't ever expect it to. Mm. Uh, I read the Max back in. Middle junior high era. Uh, mm. It was a Vertigo book. I think it was an image book from Sam Keith in the early nineties. Um, one of those like sort of early generation. Oh, I forgot Sam Keith books. was over there at Image. That's right. Um, I I'm not a hundred percent on that. Nineteen ninety three Image Comics. Totally uh, totally true. Yeah. So 93 is, again, this is year two image. This is, they've just established it. Uh, a bunch of the superstars from the big companies have gone off, made their own thing, are starting to publish all of the, like, their creator-owned work um, with, with mixed results and different schedules, but wild, wild, wild sales success. Uh, and Sam Keith, who has this cool, beautiful, unexpected style that you should definitely Google right now because uh, it is really gorgeous, who'd been doing work on things like Nail Game and Sandman and all over the place, uh, creates a character called The Max. Who's The Max? 
Max, Coy. Now, the reason I love the Max is because he is a homeless character that deals with a lot of real-world issues while looking... I, Google the Max. Uh, I don't even have to describe the, the claws. He's a cool, weird monster. He's yeah. He's got giant claws. He's purple, yellow. Like he's very intense and it, he's, he's got polka dots. He's not human at all, but he's a superhuman character. Like mm. the character is really human. Uh, and I love that. Like mental illness is kind of the through line of the book to me. Mm. Um, uh, once again, you're I, more familiar with this one than I am because I've seen the Max, but I haven't actually sat down with him. He he's a a character that's homeless and dealing with the ramifications of like modern society as a monster. Mm. And he's got mental illness. He's got. Uh, a, a lot of things that he works through um, that are difficult to talk about, but it's a through a monster, so it makes you like feel light about it. It's it's a fascinating comic. What I love about this, and this was me reading it at ten, so I'm sure it's way more nuanced because I was literally what I remember of this is now twenty years ago. Going like that's different. I'm sure if I read it now, I'd even be more empathetic to the character because um, I hope to have grown as a person in the last two decades. Uh, <laughs> but what I what I'm excited by is there was an animated uh, adaptation on MTV back in the day, yes. which surprised me to begin with because it's not a mainstream character. One of the really interesting early attempts at like putting across one of these indie properties to a, a wide audience. 95, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm excited because Channing Tatum is a very popular actor, uh, a very handsome man who can bring awareness to stuff that wouldn't necessarily get awareness, including mental health, because he talks about mental health. He's one of those – he's one of the actors that says you need to be in therapy. He's one of the people that says, like, look at what you're going through and actually look at it. And yeah. he's always impressed me by not being just a dude that can dance better than everybody. Uh, like, Which is, of course, the most important. See uh, my long track record of only caring about musicals. He could rest on those laurels, and he doesn't, and I respect that. So he's a guy that tries to seek out material that will change things, and I really respect him bringing the max to the line. So, Koi, they've said they're not sure whether it's uh, they're looking at TV or movies yet, but they're saying live action. I would love a weird, weird, weird series. Uh, like, I would love a a. Mid- what do you do, Henson puppets? I do. I do a uh, pro- practical with augmented CGI, a la Runaways. Okay. Like you could have a, a weird Max puppet creature, but then like you know do the do the gloss over, um, and like this could totally like Happy exists. Like yeah. there there are things like this. Yeah. But go a little further, and <laughs> he's so weird looking that no matter what, it's gonna look weird. So lean in. Like I, you could totally make this work. Uh, I wanted, I'd love if it looked like Rango-esque, like that hyper exaggerated, almost normal, but really not. And he's purple. Uh, but that is animated. Yeah, that, that's fully animated. But I, I'd want it to have some some weight behind it. Okay. Uh, Rango's cool because they actually acted out all of that stuff. Mm. Like Roger Deakin shot Rango with the actors in weird little costumes and they just animated over it. I had no idea. The, Rango is uh, one of – okay, Rango's one of my favorite films of all time. I really liked it, but I apparently learned nothing about it. They made it, it twice. They effectively shot that entire movie with, like, Johnny Depp and a poncho and then animated a gecko for no reason. Like, you didn't need to have Johnny Depp on set, but they did. Uh, so Isla Fisher, Johnny Depp, all of them were on sets and they'd film it and then they animated over it. Interesting. Rango is so slept on, society. I'm talking to all of you, society. Uh, but I would love they did something like that with the Max where you felt the weight of someone being there and right. then it's an insane visual. All right. All right. And I'm going to reread the Max because it's been 20 years. <laughs> Uh, we have this week a brand new trailer for Crisis. I should have grouped this one with the other photos, but I didn't. And we're back to Crisis. Yeah, but the trailer is so exciting, y'all. It's just, this is, 
uh, huge, beautiful, unprecedented nonsense times, and I love that it exists. By the time you're hearing this, we're just a little over a week from the first half of it. Absurd. We're going to get three before Christmas and two in the new year. Everything about it is weird, but everything about it is wonderful. And all of the people who work on it keep just saying, like, because, you know, I on this show, I have been sort of like, oh, I wish I didn't know about all these cool surprises. And everyone is like, you have no idea. You have no idea what's coming, which is so perfect. I have friends working on it, and they keep being like, oh, yeah, we didn't we didn't worry about that getting out because, like, there's more. And I'm like, what I could can't possibly? imagine. And they're so casual about it. I'm like, you know secrets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, everything I've heard from anyone involved is it's a game changer. Uh, so to the literally hundreds or thousands of people who are working on this in all of its <laughs> different moving parts, uh, I salute you. Um, yeah. What, like, Wolfman and Paris and, like, three other people uh, had to do uh, over over painstaking panels and panels and panels. It takes literally an army of uh, folks to contribute to and coordinate on this. And the results, I think, are going to be super, super memorable. And I'm very excited to get there. I just can't. We're... we're... <laughs> We got Disney Plus with all that content. We've got Mando. all these. We got yeah. I mean, good God. <laughs> We've got Watchmen is going to be airing during this time. <sighs> We've got this show. Like I, there aren't enough hours in the day to even begin the journey of how much stuff there is that's great. Oh, and uh, the we're we're getting a new Harley Quinn animated series. We are, and it looks great. And also comics. <laughs> also, there's so many books every week that are fantastic. It's unreasonable. Okay. Uh, this next one is a little sad and pretty funny. Oh, it's so good. I love. I read this thing twice. Like, I finished <laughs> it and went, I need another taste and went back in. Have you read the whole? I have only read the excerpts of Josh Trank reviewing his own Fantastic Four movie. It's such an existential journey. It's Josh Trank, like, reviewing him. Like, it's it's Josh Trank talking about Fantastic Four, but it gets very personal. And then, like, he's just so earnest about the things that worked and the things that didn't and what he'd do now. And he gives himself a score. And it's all, like, tongue-in-cheek and funny, but also, like, feels like therapy for the guy. Like, I'm so glad he got his voice out there. Like, you can feel the release of him being like, I finally said it. And it's delightful to to read and see. It's really all funny. right. I will. I, I have to sit down with it because it does sound uh, very funny. It's cathartic in a very dark way. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the the opposite of dark catharsis is things not coming to pass. Mm. Um, and this next one, uh, Corey, I had to put it on here. It's such a bummer because it sounds so good. Uh, okay, as you all know, uh, Tim Miller's Deadpool is, I think, a very, very high bar for that kind of film, and I don't think it's been done since. Uh, it's only like five years old, but I thought Deadpool 2 was good, but Deadpool 2 was what I expected Deadpool 1 to me, which is a good Deadpool movie. Deadpool 1 was a great Deadpool movie that actually made people that didn't like Deadpool appreciate the character. If Deadpool 2 had come first, I don't think that would have been the the, the game changer. That wouldn't have brought people on board. Um, so it's a bummer for me because I love Ryan Reynolds, obviously. Uh, and <laughs> Tim Miller, I think, made a great Terminator that no one saw. So now he's two for two in these really tricky situations of working with directors and working with producers that – he's a director – working with producers and writers that might not be on the same page. Um, but he basically said the reason he didn't do Deadpool 2 was because Ryan Reynolds – Wanted a lot of control, which I also understand. Ryan Reynolds fought for 11 years to get Deadpool made. He fought for 11 years in multiple studio iterations to get this character made, and he loves Deadpool. You can tell in every frame of anything he does, and also anything he's not being like shot. Like Ryan Reynolds walks around as Deadpool. Like the man just is Deadpool. His Twitter is Deadpool. His his <laughs> sense of humor, like. It's such a part of his being. Um, so it's a bummer that the conflict of what they wanted with this movie to be. But all of Tim Miller's comments on, like, using 
the thing instead of Colossus. That would have been so cool to see the thing in this movie using um, uh, Shadow – not Shadow Cat. Copycat storyline, having more Marina Backer in. Like things that I wanted specifically are, are things he mentioned. So it's really hard for me to be like, but that sounds like the thing we needed. Um, I would have preferred a more contained story like the first one. The first one plays with timelines, but it's a much smaller film. Uh, so – I love – thank you, Ryan Reynolds, for all you've done for Deadpool. You are forever hugs and kisses. But <laughs> Tim Miller's Deadpool 2 sounded really cool and it's a bummer. Uh, so the quote that I thought was – and I thought it was very interesting. It was just an offhand quote in a wider interview about working on Terminator and his relationship with James Cameron. Uh, but he said, it became clear that Ryan wanted to be in control of the franchise. You can work that way as a director quite successfully, but I can't. Uh, and that, that was just an interesting – like him sort of trying to be like, this is not inherently unreasonable, but it did not work for us. Um, and that's a shame. Well, what's interesting is if you've ever uh, worked as an actor on a TV show versus a movie, in movies, the director is God. The director is the one that's running the ship. The director is like, you know, the, they them and the DP are shaping the frame and then the editor. The director is a different person than on a TV show. If you're working on a TV show, the director changes more than the actors do. So the actors run the thing a lot more on TV because a director will change week to week. Every episode is usually a different director in a lot of cases. So the actors and the showrunners have a different perspective and different control. The more we get into franchise-like filmmaking and the more we get into more serialized TV, things are turning from film into television in a really behind-the-scenes way that I find fascinating. Mm. Up until – Kevin Feige as showrunner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe keeping the sort of like here's the overall vision and here's how things fit in. Reporting to one person over multiple shows is unheard of. Just like a, an actor in film being in this much control is not unheard of but it's a different thing and it mm. sounds more like TV. So uh, it's really fascinating that you know if they signed up for nine Deadpool movies, which I hope they did, that you know Ryan Reynolds would be the one steering the ship, not necessarily the director. But on the other hand, as you pointed out, in a vacuum, if you said like uh, there's a conflict over visions for Deadpool, do you trust Ryan Reynolds with it? You would be like, yes, of course. Uh, so it's a there's there's kind of I guess the thing for me is like. There's not much of a wrong way to do these things as long as the people with the arguments being fought over are fighting based on artistic visions. Um, then it's sort of like there's a million different models that can work. And Deadpool's a character that's so versatile that it can be a different movie like the second one was. I, the second one's an A- for me. I enjoy the hell out of that movie. But it's a different kind of movie. So Deadpool's versatile enough that that totally lands. And it made $800 million. It's not hurting. I'm, I can't wait for the <laughs> third one. I can't wait for a new vision. Uh, it's just interesting to hear what it would have been if it stayed under one uh, captain, so to speak. So speaking of uh, unforgettable creative visions, one person who gave us a bunch of our very, very favorites uh, had some really interesting things to say this week. Uh, I can't remember when exactly this all went down, uh, so I'm putting it on this week's rundown. I don't know. What day is it? Uh, but uh, yeah, noted anarchist uh, weirdo outsider beloved icon of comics Alan Moore says vote. Specifically, he says that to the people in the UK, but I think it is good advice for everyone all over the world because a whole lot is at stake in our public life. Uh, and his daughter, Leah Moore, uh, shared – this was on the 20th. It's on her Twitter account – shared an important message from Alan Moore uh, written from Northampton in the run-up to the general election uh, in the UK uh, where he basically – he says – well, I'll just read the beginning. Here's something you don't see every day. An internet-averse anarchist announcing on social media that he'll be voting labor in the December elections. But these are unprecedented times. Uh, that whole statement is worth a read and was pretty extraordinary, mostly because it is 
so out of character for Alan Moore to earnestly encourage you to participate in uh, <laughs> your civic standards. Although in that way, it's it's vintage Alan Moore uh, because Alan Moore has been struggling for things uh, in like you know back in the eighties he was fighting for gay rights in Britain. Uh, so. Well, it is interesting to learn that he has not made a habit of uh, engaging in those uh, civic processes. I thought this was a beautiful message and I was really glad that that was out there. Alan Moore is nothing if not uh, outspoken. So it's good to hear things in, in, a, in a productive manner. Well, and uh, – He's been old man yells at cloud a lot lately. So it's, he, been, it's nice to hear something that sounds like, oh, he's got his head on straight today. Yeah. Uh, and what uh, – I think that you said that intentionally to set us up for this segue. I may have. Um, that was really beautiful because <laughs> Alan Moore, as it turns out, can, can be famously cranky about things, uh, which I think he would be the first to admit. Uh, but he also has a whole lot of life experience he's drawing on uh, that informs that perspective, that unique Alan Moore perspective. And we got to learn a little bit about it this week uh, because his daughter, Leah Moore, also shared in the wake of that voting uh, announcement a really incredible thread uh, that really only a person who knows and loves him as she does could have written that reminded us all of just what he's been through in this industry that he loves uh, and with these characters that he loves that has made him who he is today. Um, so if you missed that, please search Leah Moore on Twitter. Uh, do not ever say anything rude to her. I don't know. I just feel like I'm telling – I'm directing people to a Twitter account, so I'm just going to add <laughs> you're listening to this. You wouldn't anyway. Uh, but yeah, she shared a really, really beautiful and personal thread of observations uh, about Alan Moore and his relationship to superheroes and his obvious love for the medium and for those characters uh, and what she has seen of it uh, in and acknowledging a lot of sort of the inherent counterpoints to his thing but also just reminding us sort of the life that he's lived. Uh, please check that out. It's a great thread and that is – Honestly, it's it's very much what I already felt about Alan Moore, but coming from an actual authoritative mm-hmm. source. It's the way we imagined him. You know what but I mean? It's good to hear it validated. Yeah, it's good to hear like, oh, that is the thing. I, it's it's it is very disturbing to know just how much uh, comics did break his heart. Uh, and to paraphrase the famous Jack Kirby quote, I think it comes. It's probably older than Kirby, but comics will break your heart. Is the thing. <laughs> um, it's been quoted endlessly, and unfortunately, tends to remain true. Go check out this wonderful Leah Moore thread. I'm just babbling. But it was a really moving account and you should check it out. Uh, while we're on Watchmen adjacent, um, I had a – when I did comic book shopping, one of the things that didn't make the cut was we talked about uh, other Watchmen iterations that didn't come to pass, mm. uh, which I'm very – I hope that footage gets out one day because it was a really cool conversation. Uh, there was a Guillermo del Toro cut uh, that he wanted to do it. David Hayter actually did a some test footage. Uh, David Hayter is a voiceover star director. Um, what has he done? I thought he wrote the screenplay for – Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Did. Am I crazy? No, no, he did. But oh, he's okay. also he's also he's directed before, so it's not, oh. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been unheard of. Uh, he did he did one of my buddy's movies, uh, Wolves. He did Wolves, um, which was uh, Lucas Till and Momoa. Yeah, uh, Lucas Till and Jason Momoa Wolves movie. So he's directed bigger things before. Hmm. He's also the voice of Solid Snake and Metal Gear Solid, which is yeah. very funny when you're talking to him and you hear like. <laughs> um, so uh, just now, while we're on air, uh, test footage leaked. Uh, not leaked. Test footage was released uh, really? of uh, David Hayter's Watchmen. So I haven't watched it yet because. It just happened, oh, but it's uh, it's you've got Ray Stevenson as Rorschach and Ian Glenn as Night Owl too, and fascinating. Wow. So uh, this just came out, so check that out uh, when you're done listening to this. Oh my gosh! Okay, uh, that's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, 
that it is one of these things that makes it so thorny to be so in love with the new version of Watchmen uh, that we are watching right now because we all know there is a very complicated history there. Yes. Um, but uh, shout out to Dave Gibbons who I hope is taking home a giant check for this. Uh, you mean his name in the credits know. makes me happy every time. <laughs> yeah, it does. Me too. Uh, so – Speaking of comics, the ones that won't break your heart, maybe, probably, <laughs> are on this week's pull list. Is there anything we didn't get to? This week's pull list is Invisible Kingdom number 7, John Constantine Hellblazer number 1, The Matrix Comics 20th Anniversary Deluxe Edition Hardcover, Basket Full of Heads number 2, and the George Herman Library H, uh, HC Hardcover Volume 1, Crazy Enigma, that's 1916 through 1918. Was there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get time for on the show? Let's see if I have any others this week that I'm that I'm pulling because it was There uh... is so much this week. Y'all, if you there are two different twenty ninety nine books launching, Punisher and Conan. Yeah. It's and if a you're weird not time. already excited about the concepts there of like Conan twenty ninety nine? Uh, criminal number ten this week. Yes. I always I always want people reading criminal. Uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design number two. I yeah. love me some dense dense Fantastic Four. Uh, what else is on my There's list? There's also a random Fantastic Four one shot that looks really there really is. good. Negative um, zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh who's the main writer on it? Oh, I just have I just have my OCD oh, yeah, yeah. list. Um, it, it's <laughs> there's two stories. One is by someone I'm excited about, and the other one is by Ryan North, uh, which I'm uh, I've, again always down for. Uh, this week is also Venom number 20, which is Donny Cates. They just wrapped Absolute Carnage number 5, but there is a fallout in Venom number 20. So friend of the show, Donny Cates, putting in work. Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited to see what he does with that character because he, he brought him places I never thought would work. And <laughs> Donny Cates, thank you. Um, yeah, I wanted to put Invisible Kingdom on the list just because we haven't plugged it in a while. We plugged it when it first started, uh, but uh, it is this beautiful science fiction weirdness story uh, that begins with kind of people in two different parts of a science fiction universe uh, discovering simultaneously a conspiracy that sort of threatens all of the uh, the orders around them, which is nice and vague, I know. But just Google it. It's so beautiful. G. Willow Wilson's imagination and Christian Ward's art uh, together in one lovely, lovely independent comics package. Uh, just makes me excited for that. And I think I noticed Cole, you put basketball number two on here, so I'm going to say that was a positive review for number one. Oh my goodness, did I enjoy <laughs> number one? Uh, I'm not a horror comic guy, and this actually got me like fully enthralled. Like I, I was so in from page one. Uh, Joe Hill is obviously an incredible writer. He uh, grew up doing that, um, and <laughs> it is. It reminds me of when I liked horror movies, and I have nothing against horror movies. They're just not my thing now. I'm an old man that gets like my cortisol can't hang. Uh, I definitely <laughs> I, I went and saw the Halloween remake because everybody's like it's the first good slasher in years, and the whole time I was like those kids shouldn't be out this late. I, I, I got I was legitimately an old man in that film, and I did not enjoy it because I'm like these kids are too young to be. It was either these kids are too young to be out this late, or they're too old to be trick or treating. Either way, it wasn't like a good take for a 30 year old. <laughs> Um, so I don't enjoy horror movies anymore because it makes me feel like I'm being attacked. Distress. Uh, it's just like I, I – the reason horror movies work is because your brain doesn't know how to separate fiction from nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm way too in. My fight or flight just goes nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm fighting Michael myself. <laughs> uh, so what I enjoyed about Basketball of Heads is it reminded me of a time when I did enjoy horror movies. And it reminded me of a time when I was able to go like, OK, I feel this, but in a controlled way. Uh, <laughs> flipping this page feels good. Um, and like the characters are really endearing. The art is fantastic. It's a really good book. Uh, and it reminded me of what it's like to enjoy horror. Yeah. And sometimes the there's a, I can give it. a basket full of heads. Sometimes there's a basket full of heads. <laughs> uh, so if you have picks that weren't on this list, let us know. Uh, it just ended up being a, a real weird indie week, but there were stuff that, like, I really love the chance to let people know about all this cool stuff that mm-hmm. is happening out there. 
Uh, we got a couple of Twitter responses this week. We got a very nice shot of the 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 haul from the comic book store from Jesus Castellum Jr. Uh, at Jag101198. Got some new pickups yesterday from the comic book store. Already read Daredevil number 13 and Captain America 16. Really wish I started earlier on these books, but hopefully there'll be some new art soon with these books. Uh, and two pictures of a wonderful, wonderful comic shop stash. Uh, I Yeah, I hope you dig them. And I, I like that, honestly, while people write in arcs these days much more frequently and more than they used to do, uh, like when, when it was largely standalones that occasionally built to something, <laughs> there is something to be said for just jumping in and giving something a shot. Usually, if you hang on, a new arc will start soon. And uh, it, I, I love that you jumped in on both of those books, which have been super excellent. And I hope you dig them. If you want that back material, there's Marvel and Universe, there's trade paperbacks. Um, or you can just stay on this ride for a while. Also, if you are enjoying Daredevil, anything Chip Zdarsky has ever written yeah. should be read. Anything Chip Zdarsky's name is on, hunt it, sign up for his newsletter because that's better written than most comics. Not How? most comics. Sign up for his newsletter because it's, it's as good as most yeah. things. Uh, you don't mean to slide on comics. I don't. You mean to slide I, on all the parts of the world that aren't Chip Zdarsky. I, I just mean to slide on the, the lack of humor of anyone that isn't that man's genius. Corey, are you familiar with his early uh, adventures with the Applebee's Facebook page? Oh... Oh, I'm so excited. There's a face of shock for the non-video yeah. viewers that don't exist. Oh, I'm – after Applebee's this episode is done. Applebee's V Chips Zdarsky? Well, n- not V so much. Uh, Applebee's team up with Chips Zdarsky? I j- – just, oh. just well, um, oh. put a pin in that. Have I? Uh, did we talk about the when I ran into him at Comic Con? What? No. So Chip Zdarsky uh, was doing a signing at like the Image booth or one of the booths, and I walked by and I was like, oh, "It's Chip Zdarsky." I think I had that moment. <laughs> oh my goodness! And I like couldn't not do. So the line got cut off. Um, but a buddy of mine was waiting in line with Charles Sewell, and I know Charles a little bit. Like I, I so I, I was like, "Oh, I'll just say hi to these Time guys." Time out. You know Charles Sewell a little, little bit. So. We, Tell we, him to be our best friend, we, and he, also uh, he does a great She-Hulk. He's re- real good. What's really exciting for me is Scott Snyder said I gave his best interview at Comic-Con, and then he Whoa. was telling me about Undiscovered Country, and then it came out better than I thought because uh. he's in Charles. Anyway, I'm trying not to name drop, but I'm, I'm, there's a lot we going on. We love comics, and we love people who make comics. So I, I mean, apologize. we are not new to this podcast. Listeners, you know this. Like, we get excited. So Chip's right there, and I, I'm obsessed with his Spider-Man, with his Daredevil, with, with sex criminals, with everything this man does. So I have to. So Charles, like, introduced introduces me and we're standing there talking and he is uh in an hour and a half going to the eisners which is where (laughs) you see that amazing speech yeah we talk for so long he's running late to the eisners they were closing down comic-con like when they're turning off the boots and like they were they were covering the sideshow like art with like with the the tarps and like chip and i are just still talking about like what spider-man means to us and why we love comics and what uh he'd he'd been watching comic book shopping so he knew me talking about his book so he knew my point of reference for him so we talked about like the importance of comics to me to him how he got involved like and the entire time I think that a lot of times people that are super funny are also the most sincere because they see the world in like that way of just like here's the honesty here's so much honesty right and it was really great to be talking to someone who I've admired so much that looks you in the eye who has a long conversation who's with you and it was over an hour so Chip Zdarsky is uh, one I will always plug his work because it's good but two I will always plug his work because he's good He's a good man. What Thanks, a lovely Chip. human being. Uh, that's that's a fabulous note to, to include here. <laughs> so keep reading Daredevil because supporting that man is important to me. Yeah. Uh, we got two more quick ones from Twitter. Jocelyn about Wolf Bay 10 was listening to last time to Giant Size Collider Heroes. I wanted to let you know there is an extra you can watch all about Sarah Finn on Disney Plus with Endgame. 
Jocelyn, I did not know that. Yes, I'm so excited that you tweeted this because I have not looked at those special features yet, uh, and I am very excited. We talked about the brilliant casting last week on the show, um, and so I got to pass this tip along. This tip is too good. Uh, as someone that thinks casting directors need Oscars uh, strongly, I think stunt performers and casting directors are very, very slept on when it comes to awards. So this is one step towards that by including them a special feature about just Seraphin. Thank you, uh, Bad Wolf Bag 10. And finally, speaking of our indie love on today's pull list, we uh, heard from Steve at My Ghost World. Nice name there. Uh, hashtag Collider Heroes. I know the big two are where the views are, but can we get some love for IDW Comics? I've fallen in love with Usagi Ojimbo and the creator, the sweetest man on earth, Stan Sakai. <laughs> uh, I've met him a couple times, and that seems to be literally the truth. Uh, deserves far more recognition for his work. Plus, IDW's Dick Tracy and TMNT. They're rolling up towards TMNT 100 right now, y'all. Uh, it is a very exciting time. Uh, and, yeah, thank you for sending in this. Please, I always want to hear about which companies you just want to give some love to or which under overlooked books. Um, we've talked about Asagi on here, here before. It is one of the titans of indie comics, written and drawn by Stan Sakai for 35 years. They just put out a beautiful collection, uh, hardcover, uh, I think, of the covers. Either they just put it out or we just ordered it. I lose my sense of time working at the shop. Um, but a beautiful collection of the covers is coming. Uh, and they've just celebrated the, the, the 35th anniversary uh, with the comics they're going to start doing. And I, I don't know how I feel about this, but I am excited. Uh, they're starting to do color classics, which is an IDW thing where it's sometimes they pick up these black and white indies like they did with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they go back and start republishing them and adding color. Now, these were not originally made in color, but, uh, you know, adding color to them doesn't cause those other ones to not exist. So, and there's going to be cool, like, extra material in these new issues as they release them. But also, they were already perfect in black and white. I don't know. It's like when Mad Max got re-released in black and white. You still have the color one if that's your thing. But yeah. it's really cool to see it in a new way. Like yeah. the Logan black and white is gorgeous. It's 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 a different film. So I think I think it's cool to have, have options. <laughs> Uh, also, I thank you. IDW is an incredible publishing house. Uh, we also, I, I'm a huge fan of Dark Horse with what like all their Umbrella Academy and um, oh, what's my book? Uh, Deadly Class. I mean, good God. And Image, then, yeah. Uh, it's oh, Deadly Class is Image, isn't mm-hmm. it? What's Dark Horse has Umbrella Academy and Hellboy? Hellboy. I mean, obviously, Hellboy. they've got a lot of good stuff. They've got a lot of good stuff. But I feel like I'm. I'll get back to you next week. There's a Dark Horse book I'm loving right now. Um, what's that? What's the company that's putting out that really weird book with the undead girl and like there's the vulture. And it's like this weird existential crisis as a book. And there's the Earth Eater and his, his font is always Earth Eater. And he's like, do you know what I'm talking about? That's amazing and I feel like I don't know. There's a there's a book that has a character that is like one of the villains is Earth Eater and he's always in all caps. And it's like a different font. And there's this like the, the lead, feed, lead female is, is fascinating. Man, what is that book? Uh, okay, we're, we're almost done but we have Coffin to Bound. Up. Coffin Bound is real good, and that's a deep indie. Like that's a that's a yeah. real weird book. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we try to get to indies, um, but it is it is very tricky with the sheer quantity of comics that are all <laughs> incredible. Thank you very much for sending that in, though. That was our uh, my sweaty question of the week, just because uh, some extra overlooked title love is always called for. Also, Archie's so good right now. <laughs> It's on like issue seven ten and then Sabrina are adorable, and every yeah. time I read it, I feel warm and fuzzy. It it reads like a milkshake tastes. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, that is it for this week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you are celebrating with family. If not, find some friends. Have some fun. 
uh, and uh, take some time for yourself if you can. And talk comics around the Thanksgiving table because even if people aren't interested, they can learn something. Yeah. Not like aggressively, but it's a cool com- – like it's cool that we're living in a time where it's so pop culture that even people that aren't following know about like Thanos and stuff. It's rad. It's pretty, pretty great. We're pretty thankful. Yeah. I, yeah. And also, I'm thankful for you guys. Uh, very thankful for – if you're hearing this – if you're hearing this out of my voice, I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. We will see you next time or hear you next. You'll hear us next time, but we'll know you're there. We'll hear you. <laughs> and until then, <laughs> stay, stay sweaty. Stay little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, figgins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.